and welcome to another episode of the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I have been talking about my life as a person in recovery since my very first day without alcohol, which was over six years ago. Uh, you will see there the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and a lot of stupidity, uh, a lot of bad thinking along the way, but uh, if you read through my blog, you can kind of see me grow uh, as I grow, and hopefully that's something that continues for a long time, because even though I'm sober, I'm not perfect yet. So that's where I tell my story, and then I hold space here on the Bubble Hour for you to tell your stories. And this show helped me get sober, and uh, I know that a lot of you listening have been helped to get sober as well. And sometimes listeners write in and offer to show their gratitude by sharing their story with others as a way of kind of paying it forward. And that's exactly how I came to connect with today's guest, Jessie. So Jessie is doing things her way. She is uh, seven months sober, and she's going to tell us about that. It has not been a perfect ride. It has not been a, an easy ride, but um, she's learned a lot along the way, and the things that have tripped her up have been things that she has used to uh, learn from and push herself forward. So without any further ado, Jesse, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. Now, you wrote me an email to tell me your story, and it was very captivating, and it shows me that you've spent a long time just thinking about things and getting to know yourself through this recovery, and I'm really looking forward to uh, you sharing that with our listeners today. So how about we just start with you? Just tell us about yourself and about um, your life before and after alcohol. Okay. Um, Well, right now, I am 31 years old, and um, as you said, I have been kind of on this um, sobriety journey now for seven months um, with with two relapses, um, and I'll kind of get into that more later, but I guess um, a good place for me to start would be probably uh, in my childhood. Um, I grew up with one older brother. He was three years older than me, and um, my parents were married for 20 years before they eventually divorced when I was in middle school. Um, I guess the dynamic in my house was, um, it was different than most people's because um, my parents never fought in front of us. Um, They never really showed affection in front of us. Um, I never saw a good conflict or conflict resolution. So um, anger is really an uncomfortable thing for me. because I, I never got to see that resolved in a positive way, I guess. It was kind of the silent treatment if someone was angry or, um, you know, dad slept in the basement and drank beers at night and, um, you know, mom was upstairs. Um, and I guess growing up, I felt like as long as I got good grades and, you know, uh, did my chores, everything was going to be okay. But I, I kind of lacked. I felt like I lacked an emotional connection. Um, I always felt different. I felt that hole that people talk about, but I felt that at a very young age. Um, um, And I always had this deep need for people to like me, whether it be um, friends or family. I wanted people to um, care about me, and I was very good at kind of being the chameleon, like, you like this, so now I like this, or... um, I just really felt the need to be loved by people. Um, and I was aware at a young age that also that my emotions were different. I would have extreme highs and extreme lows um, of depression. Uh, I had terrible anxiety. And I think that started when I started going to school. Um, I was kind of the chubby kid who got made fun of all the time. Um, I avoided social situations. I would put my head down in class. You know, I never wanted to be the center of attention. That was like my worst nightmare. Um, With my own kind of group of friends, I was very outgoing and I was the funny one. But with people who didn't know me, you would think the complete opposite. So it kind of created this um, two-sided person, I guess. Um, I also dealt with, when I was younger, I saw my mom kind of going through Weight Watchers and 
and, you know, wanting to lose weight and we're eating pizza, but she's eating salad. And as I got bigger in my younger years, because I would rely on food, um, you know, she would kind of want me to get into exercising or um, I think that kind of started creating this problem of control where I wanted to be this person, but I was really this person. Um, it was really hard for me to, to love myself even at a young age. I mean, even at, you know, between five and 10 years old, already trying, like envying other people, wanting to change myself. Um, if I could just be this, if I could just be this, I'd love myself kind of thing. Um, divorced, uh, which actually didn't cause much of a problem with us because they, you know, were already kind of separate living in the same house. My older brother went with my dad to live and I stayed with my mom. Um, cause at the time my brother started getting into drugs and alcohol and I don't think my mom felt like she could handle him. So, you know, I was the good kid and, um, got good grades and, you know, had a good group of friends and it was always kind of like my brother, Jason was, um, into drinking. He got his first DUI when he was 17. So this created this kind of thing in my head where drinking's bad, drugs are bad. I, I'm never going to do that. Um, look what he's doing to his family, you know, not understanding what addiction was at the age that I was. And, um, so, uh, in high school, kind of going through school, I was kind of a very deep emotional person. Um, in my own private time, I wrote a lot of poetry, um, but externally I was kind of hard. I was um, still avoiding social situations, I guess, but I, you know, I swore a lot and I, and I kind of came off as kind of this hard person with a hard exterior, but, but still had a good group of friends. I, I wasn't popular. I wasn't not popular. I, I was just kind of me and I had a good group of people and I was not into drinking in, in high school, you know, cause I said I'd never be that person cause I saw what it did to my brother. And um, my dad was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer at a young age. He was 42 when he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And my dad and I were very, very close. Um, you know, daddy's girl. He, he just let me kind of do me around him. I was, you know, 13 swearing, thinking I was cool, watching rated R movies with him, um, you know, listening to rock and roll music. And he was kind of the Harley guy. And, um, he never really talked about death, even though he was advanced in his cancer. Um, and I kind of locked all that inside of me um, because we weren't emotional people. I didn't know how to let those emotions out. And he did eventually end up passing away when I was 16. So it was a very vulnerable age. My brother was in the throes of his alcohol addiction. Um, my dad was mad at him because he got a DUI and because my brother started getting into meth. And so that created this um, huge thing for my brother where, you know, I remember my, my dad was in a coma, you know, last days of his life. And my brother shows up um, at the house and um, he shuts the bedroom door with my dad and you could just hear him crying and dad, wake up. I have to tell you, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, really terrible memories. And my, my brother could never let go of that. Um, he could never let go of that pain. He could never forgive himself. And, um, you know, after my dad died, um, I was in high school still. I hadn't touched alcohol yet, but I definitely fell into a depression. I started um, cutting. I started self-mutilating as a way to get my feelings out because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know how I couldn't cry. I had no one to talk to. I felt like, um, and so that created this huge downward spiral into a very dark depression, thoughts of suicide. Um, and I, and I actually admitted myself into a psych ward when I was, I think I was 16 or 17 because I was afraid of what, what, what was going to happen. And, you know, surprise, mom, <laughs> your daughter's a cutter and your son's an alcoholic. And, you know, I, I kind of always felt this need to protect my mom because 
I mean, she had been through so much with my brother and she always tried to help him through in and out of his rehab, giving him places to live and trying to help support him. And, you know, here I am feeling like I'm messing up the good kids messing up. Um, and so they diagnosed me and I got on medications, um, was released from the hospital and, you know, was still feeling depressed. And then finally, you know, I graduated high school and then at 18 or 19, I started to drink. And I remember at first I was a very slow drinker. I was the good girl still, um, afraid to lose control of my emotions just because emotions were such a terrifying thing for me. Um, so I would go to a party with friends and I would be the half a beer girl. Um, I would be, you know, the driver and I was so scared of getting pulled over underage for drinking, you know, I, you know, half a beer. And I was the awkward one standing in the corner looking at my watch. It was the time to go yet. I don't like being around all these people. Um, and I remember one of the first times that it really clicked with me where alcohol became um, something comfortable was I had met a guy and one of our first dates in quotations was a bottle of tequila. And I just felt so good. It was like all those voices in my head stopped, all the worry, um, all of the thoughts of, oh, what is he thinking about me? Does he think I'm ugly? Does, you know, am, am I too overweight? Um, you know, just all of these thoughts were gone. I was this feisty, you know, sexual, um, everything I've, I had always wanted to be. And I didn't have any, anything holding me back. No inhibitions, no second thoughts. I did what I want. I said what I want. It felt so good. And um, I think that's where the downward spiral really started. And it, it continued from there. Um, I mean, I always maintained a job. I was, you know, going to school. I wanted to be a nurse. Um, but as I continued drinking, my, my anxiety got so much worse. You know, I've heard on your show people call it the shame over, which is, I mean, there is no better term. Um, physically, I could drink and drink. I mean, I could drink up to 15 drinks a night, like hard liquor, and wake up. Um, and it wasn't the hangover. It was the shame over. It was this guilt. It was this anxiety. It was everything I didn't like about being an anxious person with depression magnified times a thousand. So it was like what the alcohol gave, what the alcohol took away while I was drinking it, it gave back a hundredfold the next morning. Um, continued uh, me and that guy moved in together. You know, I gained 60 pounds in a year from drinking. I dropped out of college out of nursing because my anxiety got so bad. I, I had to take anxiety medication just to face people. It was almost like I felt like, People knew it was this, the, the shame was so deep that I couldn't even going to work. I couldn't look people in the eyes. It was like, do they know what I did last night? Do they know I was drunk? Do they know how I'm living my life? And, and I think a lot of that folded into the guilt and shame of having a brother who is an addict. And here I am saying, I'm never going to be like that. Um, and so I started kind of pulling away from my mom, number one, to protect her from, the truth and and number two I think to protect my own addiction I didn't want to change I didn't you know want to give into it and face it um, and then thing that happened was um, you know that I ended up back in the hospital because I got super um, drunk one night and started cutting and said I was going to kill myself and it I call it the demon taking over it's like um Partying used to be fun, and I was always the outgoing party girl, you know, shirts off, woo, we're having such a good time, and then something switches. It's like a light switch, and all of a sudden, it's like this demon would take over, and I would just fall into this dark pit. It would just be like a switch, and um, and all of these emotions would hit me about my dad and about just death and it, it was a terrifying thing to feel, um, to feel all of these emotions. And I never knew if it was going to be fun, Jesse, or um, crazy Jesse, I guess. And so I ended that relationship, luckily. Um, and luckily, he is now 
sober and we've kind of maintained um, a long distance friendship. And so we both were dealing with our own things. Um, and I ended up <laughs> kind of bouncing from guy to guy, I guess, um, in this sort of um, internet dating thing that I got into because I was so shy. I couldn't just meet people normally. Um, so I'd start talking to people on the internet, meet up, have drinks, you know, um, a lot of the times getting drunk, making stupid decisions. I'm just continuing the cycle of like, I, I don't like myself so much that I become this person that I want to be sometime, you know, when I drink. So just this perpetual situation of who I really am and who I become. And now there's this huge hole in the middle of these two people. And it's so hard going back and forth. Um, I fell into a really bad relationship um, with someone who was mentally um, abusive, very controlling, um, probably at the darkest time in my life. And, um, and I just settled. I just settled for somebody. I just wanted to be loved so bad ever since my dad died. It was like I needed that male attention. I needed it, whether it was good or bad. Um, and it was bad, but I stayed and we got pregnant and had a daughter. Um, and his controlling ways got worse. Um, I started drinking more, still working. I worked two jobs. I went to college, got a degree. So it's like I'm one of those really high-functioning people who can drink every night, but inside it was just turmoil, just crushing, um, you know, just everything was falling apart. And so my bright idea was I'm going to have another baby. <laughs> you know, that'll fix everything, and that that will give me something to love and, and and a reason to stay because I was so afraid of leaving because he had threatened me, you know, if I left this or that, and he'll take the kids from me and so I had another baby and um, surprisingly it didn't fix everything. And uh, I ended up, I ended up leaving him in the middle of the night while he was passed out. I uh, woke the kids up at three and put them in the car and, and uh, went to my mom's and I never turned back. And now we do share joint custody of our kids, um, but that's all it is. We don't talk. We don't, you know, it's, it's all about the kids now, but I'm very glad I got out of that situation. And, um, Shortly after that, um, I got a call uh, in the morning. Of course, uh, here I am jumping from relationship to relationship again, looking to fill that uh, void inside of me. And I get a call at four in the morning, and my mom is on the phone, and she's crying. I'm partially still drunk from drinking the night before, and she tells me that my brother committed suicide, that he was extremely drunk the night before uh, with his then alcoholic girlfriend, and he took an entire bottle of Celexa, um, and she put him to bed instead of calling 911, and one thing led to another, and he ended up going, uh, getting up to use the bathroom that night, and uh, had a seizure from the alcohol and the pills, hit his head, and um, died at the age of, gosh, what was he, 28, he committed suicide after a probably 10, 10 year battle with the, the alcohol demon. Um, and I think he really just wanted a way out of it. And the scary thing for me was being able to identify the, with those feelings when I drank, when that demon takes over and all you want to do is not feel that anymore. Um, being able to identify with that is terrifying and eye opening, I think. Um, so that's kind of the major things that have happened that I feel like have led up to me problems. I feel like I've kind of, I've been very high functioning, you know, college degrees and jobs and kids and keeping it together. Um, never got in trouble with the law. So I had all these great excuses that I didn't have a problem. Um, yet here I'm Googling, you know, am I an alcoholic? How do you know when you're an alcoholic? Um, Asking my friends, you know, what do they think about my drinking? And it was always, oh, Jesse, you're you're not an alcoholic. You're just a drunk, you know. And it's like, well, okay, that doesn't make <laughs> me feel much better. Um, basically meaning, well, like sometimes you're still fun when you drink, um, but you don't drink every day. You don't wake up and drink, you know. But I just had such shame and such guilt, and I knew 
it was this voice inside of me that had always been there since I started drinking that was just like, you have a problem. This is not how you saw your life. I mean, there was times where there's no shutoff switch for me. Like, once I started drinking, the thought of stopping drinking does not exist. It's like I go until I fall asleep or there's no alcohol left or the bar shuts down. Mm-hmm. Um, just no stop point. Um, and, you know, I've done some stupid things and I definitely with online dating and putting, probably putting myself in very dangerous situations. And, you know, I'm lucky that things have turned out the way they have um, because, you know, some very bad things probably could have happened to me. But, um, you know, I've, I heard this phrase, and since, I, since I've been on this journey for so long, I feel like 10 years of knowing something needed to change but not being ready, and there was this phrase I heard that was, um, I'd rather believe I'm an alcoholic than spend the rest of my life trying to convince myself I'm not. And mm-hmm. that really rang true to me because, you know, here I am uh, in my 20s trying to moderate. I'm only going to drink three drinks. I'm only going to drink beer. I'm only going to drink on the weekend. Um, You know, we're not going to have any alcohol in the house. It's like all of these things I've tried, and I always would just end up drunk. It's just could not control. And um, so, you know, after my brother died, it was like, it was like even more shame then because, I mean, you know, my mom's going through so much. Um, she, you know, her son, her only son commits suicide. Um, and here I am hiding the fact that, you know, uh, I have a drinking problem. I have these dark thoughts. You know, I'm taking depression and anxiety medication. She knows I've been in and out of, you know, psychiatric facilities for uh, depression and self-harm. But I feel the need to protect her because she's my mom and I love her and, I don't want her to have two addict kids and, and I, and I know her and I know she's going to wonder what did I do wrong or, you know, what were they missing or, you know, and it's really not her fault. Um, so, you know, as after he died, it was kind of so shameful for me because then I would drink and I would say like, what, why am I doing this to myself? My brother did this and he killed himself and I tried to quit for him that didn't work. Um, I tried to quit for my kids and that didn't work. And it just seemed like every time I was drinking after that, um, it wasn't fun anymore. It was just this deep emotional wound that I just kept ripping the scab off of. Um, maybe because I couldn't identify with it when I was sober. I've always been the kind of person that's like, people are like, God, you know, your brother committed suicide. Are you okay? And I'm just the kind of person that's like, you know, oh, you know, shit happens. And then I move on because I'm so uncomfortable with emotions that I just glaze everything over, you know. Um, but really, obviously, inside of me, it was tearing me apart. Um, and then, let's see, in 2013, I met my now husband, and he was probably the first person that I with about my drinking. I think at first, I mean, the first night I met him, I was drunk. And, and the... In my head, I'm thinking, okay, this has to be different. I really like him. Um, you know, so this, our second date, we were going to meet up um, at a pool hall and that had a bar. Well, my nerves got the best of me, and I ended up going a half hour early and drinking a 32-ounce beer just to calm my nerves, and then I still couldn't look him in the eyes because of the shame of being drunk the first time we met, and I ended up drunk that night. Um, and and then I I got honest with him, and I... And I kind of let him in on it. And I think I was so scared of being honest with somebody because I couldn't be honest with my kid's dad because he threatened to, you know, take the kids or to do this or that and use it against me. And so this is the first time I was able to say, um, you know, this is something that I want to change or something I want to work on. And he's always been very open to to helping me. He'll say, okay, well, let's not have alcohol in the house or, um, you know, but, but he's finally understanding it where, you know, after the seven months of, of being sober, I, when I was thinking about drinking again, or that little devil voice, that little thing on the side of my shoulder said like, Oh, you could have one. It's been five months. You know, 
and my exact words too when we went out that night was um I've been sober five and a half months I think I can handle a drink right <laughs> and so <laughs> you know we're sitting there and I order and I right and so and he's just looking at me like oh god but you know he's not one to tell me no he wants me to learn learn for myself he doesn't want to be my dad you know and so we're out there I order one glass of wine and I remember my first sip I was like god this doesn't taste that good but it didn't stop me and before that glass of wine was done I was thinking what am I going to get next and then so I ordered a beer and then it turned into us going to the liquor store and then it was a bar and then we ended up at a strip club I mean it was just just this cascade of just craziness and and while being drunk that night, I said, I'm getting sober again tomorrow. This is not what I want, you know. Um, but a, a big thing for me that I've struggled with is that voice of, I call it, I just call it the demon voice. It's like this thing that gets in your head that just says, you know, oh, one would be okay. Or, or oh, you can just, you can just go off the rails tonight and then, you know, get back on track tomorrow or just it's it's just this crazy little part of me that um think just wants me to do something crazy or or wants me to lose control or you know and and so that was the first relapse and then the second the second relapse was was actually terrifying and um that wasn't a fun night that was a crazy night where I ended up self-harming and you know, screaming that I wanted to die. And I mean, this is like the mother of three kids who, you know, has a job and I'm, I'm back in nursing school and, you know, I want to be an RN and I have so much light and life and, and I'm outgoing and, you know, my life has completely changed since getting sober um, for, for so many awesome reasons, but you get that alcohol in me and it's like, it's like everything bad just comes to the forefront I mean maybe even from years ago that I haven't dealt with and it's just like oh just do it just hurt yourself or just you know and and all I wanted that night was that pain to stop I just wanted the voices to stop and I you know I just freaked out and you know it was a big mistake and I told I wrote my husband a letter the next day and I said um, you know from now on if I even bring up drinking, you need to shut it down. There is no one drink for me. Last night was absolutely terrifying. I don't want to die. I don't want to hurt myself. And you cannot support me in any way, shape, or form when it comes to alcohol anymore. So it was like really laying it out there that I'm done. This, this was the bottom line um, because it, it's become an issue of safety for, for myself. But, you know, it, I don't. I don't even understand why all that negativity comes out while I'm drinking, but you know, sober, I'm a completely different person. Mm. So, so um, I was lucky enough that I've known from the beginning of my drinking that I wasn't normal, that I'm not a one or two beer kind of person. I drink to get drunk. Um, I've seen the downhill spiral. I know myself very well. It just took me a long time. And I'm lucky I'm only 30, uh, 31, but um, so I started documenting in 2015 because we had a son and um, I started using hellosundaymorning.org to every day I would journal and I'm so glad I have these journals Um, and it, um, it would be like the longest I ever made it was 26 days sober and I was white knuckling it and I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't have a problem. Um, you know, relapse after relapse. And then finally this year, it was January 15th was my birthday. I got just completely annihilated the night before. didn't remember going to the bar. Um, I guess I fell in the hallway. My husband couldn't wake me up to go to bed. And when I woke up the day of my birthday, I cried all day long. I took a picture of myself at my worst. And I said, this is it. And, um, Every month since then, on the anniversary, I take a picture of myself, and it just kept getting better and better and better, and I've kept this huge blog on Hello Sunday Morning, and I printed out all of the, oops, I messed up, or I drank again, I'm not, uh, why do I do this? And so that's kind of in my toolbox now, where if that voice comes up, I look back at all of those things that I've written, um, all the reasons I shouldn't drink, because, you know, 
there's a million of them. And, um, and even with my relapses, um, the reason I didn't start recounting, which um, a lot of people think differently about that, but for me, I learned lessons each time, the two times I relapsed, and I didn't have it in me to start back at one. I'm a very black and white thinker, which I think a lot of us are. Um, it's something I'm working on, but for me, if I'm not, it, it's almost like if I had to start back at zero, I didn't have it in me. I couldn't see the point. I think it would have sent me, set me back so far. Um, and I think I would have just kept relapsing, but instead I said, I did this. I made the choice to drink. It was a terrible decision. So I pushed my sober date two days up um, from where it had started. And I just kept going because that, that for me is what I needed. And that for me was what was going to keep me safe um, emotionally and, and physically. And, and I, I just really don't adhere to any kind of doctrine. Um, I've been to AA. I've been to smart recovery, which I really liked. Um, for me, the biggest help has been my own journaling and reflecting, having a gratitude journal. And I'm a part of an amazing group of people on, on Facebook. We're on there every day. We video chat. We support each other. I mean, it's like um, total forgiving, loving environment. So I have to shout out to my sober ninjas. And, uh, um, you know, I've created some of the best, the best friendships I could have ever asked for because I really don't have any sober friends uh, around me. Everyone I know drinks. Um, so, so to have these people in my life from all across the world has been an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And, uh, life is totally different now. I mean, totally different. I, um, I found that once I quit drinking, that anxiety and that self-hatred and that um, low self-esteem, that whole started filling itself in. I, I decided, and I think what was different this time was about trying to get sober this time was I looked at my life, I looked at what I wanted to be, and I built this life that I, that I could only dream of. And that life does not include alcohol. I could not have gone back to nursing school um, drinking. I could not have started exercising and, and getting fit drinking. I, you know, you have to build this life that you want that doesn't include alcohol. And I think that was the main difference is that now it's a positive that I don't drink. Now it's, it's not something that, well, I'm never going to be able to have a drink ever again. It's like, I get to wake up sober every day. I get to fall asleep in my cozy, nice, warm bed. Remember going to sleep, um, you know, like waking up, not feeling regret and shame and hate and, and having that spin in my head all day, um, taking up all my time. It's, it's just such a wonderful thing once you get into the swing of it because the beginning was not easy. And I talk about in my blogs a lot, like the – awkwardness of time in the beginning just feeling that oh my gosh this panic it's Friday night what am I what am I doing what like it's just this panic this void that you need to fill like when's the last time I didn't drink on the weekend you know but it, it's just about finding new things and trying new things and getting up early and filling your time you know it's mm-hmm. it's One all thing about I've... this new life Sometimes uh, you hear people say that um, sobriety delivered all of the promises that alcohol made. So alcohol promised you relief or escape, but it didn't deliver it. It made it worse. Mm -hmm. And sobriety actually delivered that to you. Um, I noticed you said you don't have any any particular philosophy, but it it does sound like one philosophy that you do, um, you know, one – one tenant that you have in your recovery is that your recovery is abstinence-based. There is no room for moderation in your recovery. Do you think that's true? That's very true because um, trillion times over that I can't moderate. Moderating for me is like the worst um, mind game 
it, it took so much more energy for me to try to moderate than it did for me just to say no more. And um, I think that rings true probably for a lot of people that, I mean, how much time we waste on thinking about alcohol and going to the liquor store and the, and the mind games, I'm only going to have three and, but you want more. So then you're grumpy. And then it's just, it's just too much to deal with. It's so much easier just to take it out. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing for people to accept, but once you get it, that like just being alcohol free is easier and it's emphasis on the free, right? (laughs) Uh, It's so much easier. Mm I, I want to just take you back to um, when you were 16 and you um, admitted yourself to the hospital, which, holy, what a strong 16-year-old you must have been. I mean, your your little soul must have just been crying for help. And I'm wondering, even though, you mm-hmm. know, it took you a long time, it wasn't, I mean, you didn't just get better at that point. It, it was a long ways before you got better. But were there any seeds planted at that time? Like, what things do you think you heard along the way that took a long time to germinate and start to fuel your recovery? Um, I think with admitting myself to the hospital, I think I kind of proved to myself that I wasn't as powerless as I thought, um, which sort of, you know, planted the seed in me that like, not that I was necessarily in control, but I knew that my choices were going to affect my life and other people's lives. And um, I did learn, you know, about depression and anxiety and that they're real things and I, I wasn't making them up. And, um, and I also, you know, did learn a bit about addiction at the time because I was so young and having a brother who was an addict, I just thought, you know, how selfish is he and why can't he just, just stop you know he's hurting everybody around him and you know you really play the blame game when you don't understand what addiction is and and so it kind of laid the tracks for understanding and having a deeper sense of um of compassion for people I think and it's interesting you use that word because I wrote I wrote down the word compassion with a question um Brene Brown talks about our shame identities and how we often go awry in life by um, pushing away from what our shame identities were. So in your case, you know, you used your brother as a shame identity and you tried to define your life in opposition to his and, and that ultimately, you know, wasn't helpful. In fact, it led you to kind of the same place. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I've heard people say that when they, when they lose someone important in their life, um, they still continue to have a relationship with them that that person is kind of comes along with them for the journey. So um, what I'm wondering is if you've developed a compassion for your brother through your recovery and, and if you've been able to convert that shame identity, you know, into, into something new using compassion. Um, I think I have, I think at first, I, I kind of had that attitude that I talked about. Well, you know, it happened and he was heading that way anyway. And I think I kind of said those things to cover up, to cover up the real turmoil and, and the real heartache of it all. Because when, he, I mean, he had drug and alcohol problems since he, I mean, this was a 10 year process from start to, to suicide. And so I think I learned to push him away Um I didn't talk to him as much because I just couldn't handle it. I didn't know how to help him. He'd call me drunk and, you know, I didn't know what to do. And, um, and so now, now I feel this understanding almost with him about, I mean, he was a, he wasn't a high functioning alcoholic, but um, I'm sure maybe he started out that way. I think it's all just a giant slippery slope, but um yeah, I definitely feel more compassion for him and his story. And, you know, instead of, you know, he committed suicide or he killed himself, it's like, um, God, it's, I don't know how to word it. It's not like he gave in to the depression. It's he, he succumbed to, he succumbed, succumbed to the depression and, and to, and to those feelings that he didn't get help for. And when you're depressed and you have terrible anxiety and you're unmedicated, or even if you're medicated and drinking, I mean, Drinking is a depressant, you know, it, it's going to take you down one way or another. And, and for him, 
the slow suicide, um, you know, turned into a quick one at the end. And, and so instead of anger, as much anger as I used to feel towards him, I, yeah, I think it's more um, compassion, um, understanding and hoping that maybe I'm doing, um, doing something that he wasn't able to do. And maybe through, through me doing this, um, I can kind of bring his story to life for more people. That's beautiful, really. I mean, that's that is um, giving meaning to his loss to to be able to turn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that you can turn it into something good, but that um, that something can come from those ashes. I guess that some there's some grace in that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you really seem to to have identified that it was the inability to express emotions that that was part of the appeal of alcohol for you is that it sort of unlocked, you know, the, what was locked away in you now without alcohol there to help you express your emotions. You're having to learn all over again, those childhood skills. Now you're learning as a 30 year old of, of appropriate emotional expression and recognition. How is that going and what is that process like for you? Um, I think I'm kind of just beginning it. I I did do some um, cognitive behavioral therapy for a while, which I really think helped me um, not see things uh, so black and white because I think that's a big issue for me. Um, and and as far as confrontation goes, well, now I can't use I can't like you know have four or five beers before I bring up that I'm angry about something stupid that happened two weeks ago with my husband. So it's more about um, I find that the the longer I'm sober, the more I'm able just to say like, hey, this is bugging me, or you know we, we need to have a talk about something, or um, it. I've become so much more comfortable in my own emotions and in every category where before I would need, I would feel like I would need a drink or, or maybe I just wasn't important enough to have this, you know, am I worthy enough to be angry about this? Um, And now I realize that like emotions are okay. They still may be uncomfortable, but I'm learning that it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that was a huge thing for me. It's okay to be uncomfortable. You just got to ride that wave out. I do a lot of writing and journaling. Um, you know, I, if I'm dealing with something, sometimes I'll just write a letter like to my husband. If I feel like something I'm uncomfortable to talk about, um, I'm finding ways to communicate how I'm feeling one way or another, which before I wasn't doing. So it's, it's kind of baby steps right now, but I feel like eventually I'll get there. <laughs> I I can't help but notice you use the word worthy that you that you're worthy of those feelings that you you know you that I think is a huge thing that a lot of us struggle with is that especially if we only identify with what other people want and we're people pleasers it it's a hard lesson to learn that like what we think matters and that we're worthy of having an opinion we deserve to have an emotion and I feel like that is a a big leap in recovery that you must have made once you started facing this. Mm-hmm. Do you feel mm-hmm. like that's something yep, you're able realizing to realizing you're worthy of? Yeah. Um, how do you try to teach your kids that? Do you feel like you, you're able to offer them some insights and lessons that weren't available to you? What are, what are your priorities with your kids? Um, I feel like I, at this point, I'm trying to change kind of, I, I see a lot, you know, when you're raised a certain way. So I was raised in the way that, like, there wasn't a lot of physical affection, um, you know, uh, crying and stuff like that was saved for kind of locked bedrooms behind the doors. And so for my kids, I'm trying, I'm trying to change those things about myself where um, I'm trying to use a lot of feeling words. Like, I'm feeling frustrated right now because of this and this and not just, and not just locking down and and acting angry and what's wrong, nothing, you know, cause like, that's kind of like what I heard growing up where it's like, obviously something's wrong and we need to talk about it, you know? Um, so I think with my kids, I'm really just trying to slow down, um, and, and enjoy the good times and realize, um, and for me, a big trigger before was, um, 
I'm kind of a control freak. And when I feel like I'm losing control, um, that would be a trigger that, you know, when, when I feel like I lost control of my emotions or, or the kids weren't listening or um, I would internalize it. And then maybe later in the week at the weekend or later, you know, if they were in bed or whatever, then I would have to have a glass of wine or two and well, I deserve this and I, I need to calm down. And, and so now it's, it's about just really dealing with things as they're happening and not trapping them away for later and dealing with them the wrong way. I feel like um, kids will be kids is a good thing that I do. Um, my therapist kind of taught me in those moments of feeling out of control or feeling like, you know, this household of three kids is getting the best of me to take a deep breath and just say, be the mom you want to be. And just take a step back and pause. So I don't, I don't trigger into going into like panic mode, but how, how would I react if I reacted in the way that I want to, you know? Right. And get into that highest self, right? Like get into your highest mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My therapist taught me that too, that we have all these parts. Like you kind of talked about yourself as like, is it going to be drunk Jesse or mad Jesse or like sort of fragment into different parts and we pull out different roles almost to fit the need but but there's always that highest role of who we want to be and who we can be when we're really coaching ourselves and and um, if we can just pause and intentionally be that version of ourselves then it becomes more and more habitual and we the more time we spend there the more it becomes our go-to and um, Mm -hmm. I really assume by the time I'm 95 that I'll be hanging out in that good I'll be there <laughs> and that space that you yeah that space we've always dreamed of yeah but it's a long it, it's a it's mm-hmm. it's a thing we have to stop and teach ourselves to do um I also mm-hmm. want to just as we're talking about your kids um <clears throat> you mentioned that you have shared custody with your ex and yep. I wanted to just bring that up because <clears throat> excuse me I a lot of women that I've heard from, they do okay sober when they're with their kids, but they really struggle in sobriety when their kids aren't with them. Um, how, did you find that at all? And how, how, did, how have you addressed that? I did definitely in the beginning have issues with that. So when I, when I would have them, it was like mom mode. You know, I was being the mom I wanted to be. I was taking them to daycare. I was going to, you know, working. I mean, we don't share finances, so I was supporting them in our cute little two-bedroom apartment, you know. Um, But then when I didn't have them, I would feel that emptiness, that pit. I I would feel that loss of control of, well, what's happening over at his house? Is he drinking? Is he smoking cigarettes around the kids? You know, it's like that loss of control. What is he telling them about me? Um, and, and to fill that, you know, it was, it was drinking. It was having friends over. It was drinking. It was filling that lonely time. I'm not good at being alone, which now I actually love being alone, but, um, um, but yeah, I felt the need to fill that, to fill that, um, uncontrolled feeling, the feeling of loss of not having my kids, um, and being alone, I was definitely not comfortable with at all. So how do you deal with that and now? So for me, drink, drink, well, now it's completely different, I think, because my kids are older, a little bit older now. They're both school age. My two oldest, my youngest is turning two, um, the one I have with my husband. But, I mean, our weeks are so full with them now and so crazy. Um, I, you know, I miss them when they're gone, but I I do enjoy the quiet time. Honestly, I, I've learned that, um, silence is not awkward. Silence is peaceful. Um, and I don't need to fill it. I, I, I can just sit and enjoy it and realize that the next week it's going to be crazy and loud again. And, and, um, everything kind of works, works its way back around. So, um, I, I really do like being alone sometimes. Like if my husband goes out with his coworkers, um, I'm totally fine Netflixing it and eating a bag of popcorn, you know, <laughs> not a problem. Um, and, and that's one thing I've learned too, is like with the people pleasing, I'm not, um, I used to want to people please so much. that I'd feel like I'd have to go out. Like 
if someone if he's going out with his coworkers to a bar, I would feel so like, oh God, I should go out. I don't want anyone to be angry at me. And now he's totally fine with me straight up being like, uh, you know, not tonight. I can't. I, I think that would kind of put my sobriety in jeopardy and we're totally fine with that. He knows, he knows my limits and I know my limits and I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it, don't you think when you're, when you stop being a people pleaser and stop defining yourself through other people, then all of a sudden you can be alone with yourself because you are somebody and you, you are valid and worthy. We said earlier, and that, that to me is one of the huge changes in my recovery is that it's just getting to know myself and to care what I think as much as I care what other people think. And then that allows me to be alone with myself in a new way. Um, Mm-hmm. And and thank God, right? Because <laughs> exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an exhausting way yeah, to live to always need. How, how exhausting, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you needing, look back, and the people please is very exhausting. Yeah, it is, and it's like being a shadow human. It's. I mean, mm-hmm. who, we we obviously think other people are worthwhile because we want them to define us, but like why why are we different than them like in a way it's sort of you know that idea the the um and what is it an egomaniac with a with an identity or you know a, like a, the 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 egomaniac who thinks that they're worthless like they that we you know what makes you so special that you're different than everyone else that you're no good and they're they're okay mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of backward thinking to heal there um i have a couple mm-hmm. more questions for you before i let you go and we're running down but um you know there's just you've done so much great reflection and work that I make sure that uh, we learn as much from you as we can while we have you today um your before and after photos that's a really useful tool when you look back on that photo that you took at the beginning and and you know at your lowest moment as you say what do you see there and you know what do you say to that girl now when you look back to her Oh gosh. I, when I see that picture, I just see a complete void of happiness. I mean, my eyes are just, I look soulless. I look like there's nothing left in me. And that's how I felt. I felt like I can't do another day. I can't have another binge. I can't do this. I, and that's why I took the pictures because I knew that that was going to be a changing day. And, um, and now when I look at that picture, I just think, just my God, I, I had no idea how good, how amazing life could be um, just by letting this thing go, just, just by giving it, giving it over and just saying, I'm done with you. I'm done struggling with you. I'm done fighting with you. It, it was like leaving an abusive boyfriend, you know, it, it's just... Mm-hmm. I'm never going back and, um, you know, you may whisper in my ear and, and pretend to be sweet, but it's about playing that tape all the way through, you know, people don't change and neither does usually your relationship with alcohol. So, um, and never again. Mm -mm. I'm looking at the picture that you describe as you're, as you're speaking and, um, and you've got it, you sent it to me with a picture of you now next to it. And I have to tell you that, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to believe it's even the same person because you look so sad and empty in the first picture. Mm-hmm. And in the second person, like your eyes are just sparkly and beautiful. And you got this sassy, like your one eyebrows lifted a little bit, like, you know, you're not afraid <laughs> to be a little bit like there's like, I guess a self-assuredness and a, um, like it's, yeah. it, it's, it, it is unfailingly, um, moving to just see before and after pictures because there's it's the eyes there's something mm-hmm. in the eyes that that um comes back to life when we when we honor ourselves mm-hmm. by by being alcohol free and it's just it's so beautiful um and you talked about your relapses so you've had two relapses and um i guess my first question for you about that is what did they teach you um the first one I think taught, cause there was no, um, you know, insane, uh, 
cutting situation with the first one. I think the first one taught me that I for sure drink to get drunk. If I was ever curious about that, uh, that that one drink I was going to have turned into a night of binging and that um, I could have had just as much fun without all that, honestly. But once I started, it was hard to stop and hangover wasn't worth it. And I think the second time taught me that um, those dark places inside of me uh, are a dangerous place to be. And the only time I, I go to those dangerous places is is when I hit that point of, of drunk. And so for me, the second time was an eye opener just to kind of show me that, um, you know, that demon's still there and, and that demon will probably always be there if I ever choose to turn back to alcohol. And I'm not looking to um, complete any sort of cycle like my brother did. I have too much to live for and, you know, so did he. But um, life's too precious to do things that destroy you. And mm. I think that's what I've learned. Yeah. And you say that you use the word choice there if I ever choose to go back to it. And it's it, sobriety is a conscious choice day by day, isn't it? Like it's not like it's not like we're locked in for life. It's like we make that decision moment by moment mm-hmm. to just keep doing the next right thing. And and then it adds up to that. <clears throat> and you also mm-hmm. mentioned um, keeping track of your time. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. There's you know, I think there's you questioned like would some people think that you needed to not say that you're seven months sober if you had a relapse in there but then you know you I also feel like we have autonomy in terms of deciding how we consider our recovery and um, and you do have a seven months you know minus two days of recovery and um, mm-hmm. uh, so I really like that you have created your own way of looking at it and and taking charge of that. If you go back to an interview we did a few years ago with Dr. John Kelly from the Recovery Research Institute, he talks about that too. And he says, you know, a relapse doesn't erase the sober time that you have. And so you should feel empowered if you wish to, to continue counting your recovery from then. Not to encourage becoming a, you know, um, a habitual relapser, but more to give yourself credit for all the work that you did do up to that point and that you got right back up the next day and got right back on it and and were also propelled mm-hmm. by that. Um, I, I feel like that is, is worthy of noting for our listeners because I think some people are really frustrated by continually having to roll back the clock and they feel like they're back at zero, but you're not. You're, you're still ahead of where you started. And... Um, and Definitely. I just, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you sort of brought that into the discussion because I think we, we can choose how we decide to, to look at our recovery. There's no one right way to do this. The only right way is the one that, that leads us to healing and wellness. And, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a big believer in, in being alcohol free. I think, um, abstinence is, 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 as you say, is not only easier than moderation, but it, it frees up the space mentally and physically to do the healing that we need to do in order to, to keep going and be our best selves. Um, but short of that, I feel like how we get there is up to us and the programs and the, the rest of yeah. it, they're, they're tools to get us there, but it's not like it doesn't have to be, um, it's not like religion. Like there's not a, it's not black and white. There is no one right way as long as you get where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. So I really love that you brought totally, that up. Totally. Totally. Um, just before our clock runs out here, um, you talked about using Hello Sunday Morning. as a It's a great website and a great program, and it's helped a lot of people. Can our listeners find your blog on there, or do you have a blog that people can find and follow if they want to know more about you, or are you anonymous on there? Tell us a little bit about how that works. Um, with my Hello Sunday Morning, um, I think it's a really good thing for people to, because, you know, people on Hello Sunday Morning now are like, oh, you're so, you're so inspirational, you're so this. I go, go back from the beginning to the beginning, and you will see that I struggled. You know, I'm not one of those amazing people but that can just quit. But um, on Hello Sunday Morning, uh, my name on there is Hurricane Roll, one word put together, hurricane and roll together. Um, I'm <laughs> also starting to blog. Um so I started a Tumblr. There's not much on it right now, but it's soberninja.tumblr.com. 
if you search Sober Ninja um, on YouTube, I have a few videos, which I'm going to start doing more of now that I'm more like out of the closet. And uh, <laughs> and I do have an email address, too, if, any, if anyone wants to get a hold of me. It's um, SoberNinja86 at gmail.com. If anyone wants to chat or ask me questions, I'm totally open to that. I'm, I really want to start helping people and um you know, helping people makes recovery so much um, easier and more worthwhile and great to give back. So, Okay, say that again. SoberNinja86 at gmail.com. G- at gmail.com, yep. Yeah, that's great. Listeners just learned a lot and is happy to share it. So feel free to email and, and give mm-hmm. her your feedback um, if this helped. Well, this has been a fascinating hour, and you've really done a lot of impressive growing and learning, and I'm so grateful that you have offered to share it with us today because you inspire me, and um, every story just brings each of us another step forward, I feel like. So, Jesse, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad I was I was able to share it, and, and I feel like with each thing that I do here, especially with this, like coming out, like it, it takes the stigma away. It takes the, the, you know, any shame away and, and, you know, it's a good thing to share your story. So I'm glad. Um, I'm glad you're here. And um, listeners, if you want to get a hold of Jessie and, uh, and thank her or give her any feedback, once again, her email is soberninja86 at gmail.com. You can also email me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I can uh, put you in touch with Jesse. Um, and if, like Jesse, this show has helped you and you would like to share your story with listeners, you can also email me or message me on Facebook. Uh, you'll find the Bubble Hour on Facebook. And, um, and let me know um, that you would, would like to be on the show because it's, uh, it's just an honor how we, each of us, like, we're able to use this this space to heal ourselves and then we pay it forward by telling our story healing others and I think that is just such a beautiful cycle of giving and and taking and learning and recovery Jesse thank you once again and before you go do you have any final words of encouragement for our listeners um I guess I would say just don't give up and don't stop trying and there are no rules. If you're if you're if you're googling, am I an alcoholic? You're not going to find the answer online. You're going to find the answer in your heart. And if you feel like if you feel like you need to change your relationship with alcohol, then just do it. Don't sit on it. Just get on it and do it, and you will thank yourself in in three months, and six months, and a year. You'll thank yourself. Oh, that is perfect. With those wide, wise words, we'll end our show for today. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, listeners. And for all of you, until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking. Want to be free from power, weakness head on me. In a dark corner is where shame lies behind. We think you're strong just cause you keep it on the side. It just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on. Want to be free from power?